0: two guys no
1: credentials.
0: reviewing rolling stone 500 greatest album Water.
1: and welcome back everyone to the sound logic podcast today we're discussing album number 44 on rolling stone magazine's top 500 album list this is horses
0: by Patti smith As we sometimes do on the podcast, we have a special guest and uh, today we are excited to have uh, my friend Holly with us. Uh, Holly and I first met uh, during my time in Southern California while I was at Fuller Theological Seminary, our paths crossed. And Holly, I was trying to figure out exactly um, what the first sort of connection or contact would have been. I know um, we attended the same church for a while, but uh, your husband was, I think, involved in my admissions process journey to Fuller, too. So um, I may have even known joel before you ever met you too Uh, and then it was sort of pleasantly surprised to, to discover that you were connected at the church that we were interested in going to as well um i actually don't think that the two of you were married at that time either which is uh also says something about how long it's been maybe since since we've been in the same space we left california in 2011 so it's almost 10 years ago now i guess and uh um so we've been sort of loosely connected through social media and things like that. But um, the memories I have of you as a, a person are someone who cares deeply about uh, injustice in the world. Um, our our uh, sort of passions crossed over while I was involved with some work uh, with Bread for the World, an organization that you worked for for a time. And, um, and I think that you continue to be someone who, who cares deeply about uh, issues that affect humanity, and um, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this particular album. Um, this is not an album that, that Mike or I were terribly familiar with, and uh, we put out a call uh, a few weeks ago about um, if there were any friends of ours who might have some interest in I was excited to... Uh, see your slightly apprehensive hand raise about um, possibly joining (laughs) us on the podcast so I'm glad that this happened and we're excited to have you here Um, something that we all often ask our guests are how do you introduce yourself uh, to people these days Um, so T- take it from here. How, how do you how do you like to be known um, in the world today?
2: Well, thanks, Ben and Mike. I'm, um, you know, I did reluctantly raise my hand on, uh, on this <laughs> album because. Um... <laughs> Uh, I am a Patty Smith fan. I'm no. I'm by far. I'm not at all an expert by any means, but I love just her kind of work, and I really am excited to talk more about horses. Um, you know, the way I introduce myself nowadays is that uh, I'm a mom to a very busy and active five-year-old. So <laughs> um, my his name is Wendell, and um, he's just a real uh, delight in our lives right now and um the other thing that i'm really uh happy and to hear that you remember kind of our work together at bread for the world i just transitioned into a role where i'm working on skid row and i work for a organization called the downtown women's center and we're one of the largest service providers for women experiencing homelessness oh wow yeah, I've, I've been doing that for the last eight months and I'm in a role where I fundraise for the organization and um, it's just a real pleasure to work on an issue that's just at the forefront of so many people's minds with the number of people who are experiencing homelessness. And I think like being able to talk about female artists and feminist music is something that like ties into that drive that I have in my work to really advocate for women, to work for a women-centered organization, to be partnering with, you know, an institution that really values, has like feminist values and really cares about women, I think is powerful. So I might have butchered transitioning into talking about horses but
0: (laughs) um (laughs) no i think this is like the perfect segue into this music i mean uh music aside and we'll get into some of that like the the number of people women especially who point to this album in particular is like the thing that gets them into uh music or activism uh, it just seems like uh, it's it's an incredibly pivotal um, moment in time uh, for people when they hear this uh, for the first time. So I think I think all that you've said it just feels so fitting. Um, my hunch is that the work that you do is even more important with this current political administration that we have, um, and and sort of painfully, I guess, powerful female voices are belittled in some ways uh, right now maybe more so than than in recent years and and uh and being reminded of the importance of uh moments in time where we need uh, strong powerful female artists to uh speak truth to power uh just seems like really fitting like we should all have horses on right now <laughs> In, yeah. living in Trump America <laughs> Fortunately, Mike just have to deal with that uh, north of the border <laughs>
1: oh I gotta deal with it I see it every day
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah I I'm I, I moved by that too I mean just like the as I was listening to this album in the last week I was just struck by kind of a number of things about it I mean the the lyrics itself are just thinking through kind of her process of being part of the artist community in New York City in the seventies. and when you I I really recommend the book Just Kids it's about Patti Smith's relationship with Robert Mapplethorpe who she was really good friends with and she had this such a unique relationship with him. And when he was on his deathbed, I believe he died of AIDS and people can um, email you if I'm incorrect on that. But when he was dying, he, um, she asked him, like, can I write a book about our early time together? And he gave her his blessing. He said, yeah, you can write this book. And so she really wrote *Us Kids as a way to process the loss of this, like, soulmate of hers, like a really de- um, dear friend. And he took the photograph that's the cover of Horses. And I oh, wow. just love this um, artwork on the cover of the album because I think it... Um, presents women. I mean, you think of the 70s and what was happening in our culture and in music. And um, I think when she presented it to the label as the cover of the album, they were like, you're not girly enough. You don't look feminine enough. And she really pushed back and she won. And she was able to say like, no, this is how I want to present myself. And I love this like strong kind of androgynous image that Robert took of her.
0: There's something like so... Deeply honest about this album, and I think um, I think the cover speaks to that just at first glance. Um, well, Mike and I, uh, being relatively new to this music, um, I had a question that we'll often ask is like, "What was your first impression, or or what were your assumptions going into this music?" Do you remember Holly when you first heard horses, or um, what stage of life you might have been in when when this music came to you for the first time?
2: Yeah, I listened to the album probably about six years ago after I read Just Kids, and I was just, uh, this was before I had my son, and I um, I just remember being really struck by um, the profoundness of the lyrics, like just how much thought she put into the poetry of how, what she was writing. And I think, you know, I, I debated whether or not to bring this up tonight but I w- or on the podcast. I thought, like, it would be kind of sacrilege to talk about people like Taylor Swift in the same episode as Patti Smith. But you think <laughs> that um, people like Taylor Swift are really benefiting from the kind of work that Patti Smith did because she made a space for really thoughtful lyrics where she's yeah. telling a story mm-hmm. And she's illustrating something that you're like, okay, what is this, what's the deeper story behind even the song Horses? Or like, I think she wrote the, the song Redondo Beach about her relationship with her sister. Um, so this storytelling in um, music in a punk rock way, I think that was what really drew me into the album when I first mm. looked to it.
0: That's not the first Taylor Swift reference on this podcast, which is funny to say about something um that's mostly about classic rock, but uh, I know especially for Mike's family she's a, an important voice um especially as they've been raising their own uh powerful strong young woman. Um so yeah, <laughs> let's draw the, the line between <laughs> Patti Smith and Taylor Swift. I think that's a that's a really interesting uh, way to begin. I, it dawns on me. I, I think this album came out before any of us were born, so um, we might get lots of emails from people uh, who were alive, uh, you know, experiences for the first time as teenagers or or young adults or uh, or older adults and want to set, set us straight. But um, we'll be looking at this yeah. <laughs> through the lens of of uh, people who were all born after something came out, which is which is just fine. We do that from time to time too. <laughs>
1: Almost every well, album on this list was released a, <laughs> before we were.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, for, for us, for sure. Um, well, should we dive into ben, some
0: details now, Mike? You want
1: some details? Uh, let's go I for won't. it. I have a few details here. Details, 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 details. So this album was released November 10th, 1975. Uh, this was... Patty's debut album. I want to make a quick note. We're going to talk about this, but just in terms of timing, this is before Ramones, before The Clash, before Sex Pistols. This is uh, very early in the whole punk scene. Um, yeah. Some might say one of the very first. So I, I just think that's significant to understand where this fits in that chronology, and that, new movement um petty smith wrote all the tracks um she had the co-writers on many of them and she also borrowed some material from some other people um so included that gave them credits as well including van morrison uh on the first track because uh she uh borrows a bit from his song gloria and uh and also something from Fats Domino on track seven, that's uh, horses as well. So uh, I I also really appreciate that she has given credit to these people. And I'm going to bring that up again later (laughs) for something else. (laughs) Um, this, uh, This is another album. We've talked about great albums that didn't necessarily have commercial success or mm-hmm. popularity at the beginning, this is another one of those. It charted number 47 in the US, um, which is not bad considering it had almost no airplay. And uh, number 18 in the Netherlands, which is interesting. We don't always talk about how it charts in other countries, but that's that's a good one. And um, on its re-release in the UK in 2007, it charted number 157. So uh, we're seeing it's picking up some popularity later on. In terms of sales, I, I don't have a specific number here, but it, we know that it's certified gold in the UK and Australia, uh, but has not been certified in the US. This is a very significant album uh, in terms of music history, and it has been viewed by critics as one of the greatest and most influential, most influential albums, not only for the history of American punk rock, but also the history of rock and roll in general. Uh, It's been cited as a key influence by um, many post-punk and alternative rock acts, including Susie and the Banshees, R.E.M., The Smiths, uh, P.J. Harvey, and Hole with Courtney Love. And Michael Stipe of R.E.M. bought the album as a high school student and said that, uh, quote, it tore his limbs off and put them back on in a whole different order. And that Patty Smith is his primary inspiration for becoming a musician. And I think that's pretty that's pretty significant. That's a very successful and influential band. Um, so for Michael Stipe to be influenced by Patty Smith is pretty awesome. Um, Horses is considered one of the key recordings in the early punk rock movement. And I, I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to mention that.
2: So here's my question on this next piece, Mike. Is the U2 yeah. cover of Gloria a cover of Van Morrison or a cover of Smith?
1: Okay, so I had to look this up um, because because I heard I heard the song and I went, "Hey, U2 does this." So I looked up the U2 song. If you look at the track listing for October, it lists that all tracks were written by U2. There's no mention of Patty Smith. There is a mention that uh, that they borrowed or were inspired by Van Morrison for Gloria but I, I've i heard so many similarities um, I think that if anything you two use the same parts or inspiration from the Van Morrison track that Patti Smith did I was just surprised that you two didn't give any credit to Patti Smith because I feel like you know if you're doing something only six years later you should probably at least reference that somebody else had done something that may have made that more popular or more <laughs> successful or accessible i don't know i yeah
0: i just found it interesting huh. yeah i don't hear any of the youtube version in the patty smith track but maybe i need really? to give that some second thoughts yeah other than the titles huh <laughs> But I, I will say, I uh, I believe that Gloria is on Live Under a Blood Red Sky, which is the first U2 album that I got. Um, and so it's been like, I probably got that as like a 10, 11, 12 year old. So that song is so um, crunched into my head space in, in some other like very distant kind of memory that I, it probably would be hard for me to... To imagine something else coming before it, <laughs> um, maybe they did it. Yeah.
1: Maybe they did that refrain in the live version. Is that what happened? I'm sure I've heard them do it. Like she does it, the the,
0: the Patty Smith refrain.
1: Yeah. Oh. When she sings it and then spells it out, Gloria G-L-O-R. i O. I'm sure I've heard you two do that. Have they not done that?
2: Yeah, they've done that.
1: I'm sure they've done it, but so I think you're right, Ben. And I'm just, I'm just re-listening to U2's version, or 2s song "Gloria," and I think you're right uh, that they don't sing that. But I know I've heard them do it somewhere. I just couldn't oh, tell you from uh, what, okay. from what live recording they've done it. So and, maybe and thank I've you for backing uh, me up on that, Holly, because I
0: know I've heard it. <laughs> maybe I've just heard them do it live and thought oh there's Bono riffing whereas people who know Patti Smith are like oh he's paying tribute to Patti Smith when he does that right uh, yeah, yeah be, maybe well I googled you to Patti Smith Gloria and let me see what tour this is from 2015 so one of their recent tours they brought Patti Smith out to perform oh. Gloria from Horses um, with the band so um have to take a look at that, there is a recording of it to see if they mash the two songs together or if they just let her do her thing and play behind her. Cool, anyway, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, here's, here's something I really like this is um, Patti Smith herself said that horses was a conscious attempt to make a record that would make a certain type of person not feel alone people who were like me, different. I wasn't targeting the whole world. I wasn't trying to make a hit record. And I absolutely love that because when I first listened to the album, I thought, you know, this this isn't really hit hip music. This isn't really, uh, it's not all very catchy. But on my first listen, I didn't, I didn't get it. Uh, and I started to understand it more the more I listened to it. And then listening to her inspiration in why she made it, that makes so much sense. Uh, we've listened, Ben, in this project to a few different things that really felt like people who are saying, uh, if you're like me, this is for you. Uh, if you don't fit yeah. in, this is for you. And, and I really like that. I think especially, I think that's, I'm jumping ahead, but that's so relevant because there's so many people. We have access to touch everybody through technology today and there's so many people who feel so alone and so different and like they cannot connect with anyone when we have all the tools to do it yet we don't know how to talk to people in person um Mm -hmm. and back in the day she was saying if you feel different if you feel weird if you feel like you don't belong uh this is for you and hopefully someone out there will be inspired by this i love it
0: well, I think about too about like how formulaic um, making hit music has become. Like you've got a production yeah. team that will sort of give you either the um, the uh, rhythm track or the chord progression or the lyrics or the hook that will like catapult you into the charts or, or give you that one that song that downloadable song. Um, it seems really counterintuitive to the music industry to have an artist say, I'm not making this for everyone. Um, mo- most artists that want fame and success are trying to make something that everyone is going to buy. And what she's saying is like, nope, I'm making this for the people like me who don't feel like they belong. And that, that like in itself is just like utterly brilliant. And, um, and sort of a revolutionary thought, I think, for a musician to say that, which is funny to say, like, you know, musicians are artists. They should be making things, not just for the popularity, but because they believe in, in them and they're, it's their artwork. But the way the industry sort of pushes people, I think that we see that less and less these days.
2: I think um, you will never hear Patti Smith embrace the millennial whoop. I'm pretty confident.
0: <laughs> to
2: say that. But, and. When you read the book Just Kids about her time in New York City, I think that her writing kind of takes this to the next level where you realize she's around people who she was making music for. She's around a lot of artists and you read that book and these names pop out at you as like these incredibly influential artists and writers and poets in the 70s and she was just going to dive bars and hanging out with them and so it's just I think like her sentiment um I when I listen to the album this sentiment of kind of New York City like it just kind of transports me to the city as well like it just gives me this sense I'm like in New York and I'm part of this punk scene and you know, living in Greenwich Village or, you know, these like places that were like fundamental in this whole music movement. I think it really captures that time and place. And I agree with you, Mike. Like I think there are parts of this album that are really hard to listen to. Like it's not um, comfortable rock music. It's kind of really intended to both in the way the music's produced as well as the way she like sings the lyrics to kind of throw you off a little and make you like ask questions about, you know, why this lyric sounds that way. I think when I listen to the track horses, I'm, I don't, did either of you do any research into what the meaning is behind the lyrics to horses?
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to admit that I read some of the lyrics, but I felt I just, I, I would want to give probably another month to, to, to go through these lyrics and really absorb them. But no, I did not.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't either, so I'm probably extrapolating. But I think there's just, like, um, when you take an initial pass at it, there's kind of this, like, violence that's alluded to in the song. Mm. And yep. I think that that kind of pervades some of the album like this conflict that she's really expressing
1: that song is is so incredibly narrative i, I don't know if one could think it be more narrative than the other but it it is it it follows along its this winding path of a of a story that is so full of prose as well and mm-hmm. i found it very um uh, challenging and i mean that in a very positive way challenging and sometimes hard to follow and and incredibly long as well uh but um, it's yeah it's i felt like there are many times i was nervous at what she would say next like just kind of on the edge of saying something very provocative or violent or uh disturbing but it never really goes there um in in an explicit way uh I don't know. It's, I still find it hard to really absorb it because there's so much happening. Sorry, Ben. I said it'd be quick and I was not.
0: No, I think you're getting at something that I was trying to make sense of. Uh, there's this, like, you can feel how raw the lyrics are um, without them being super, super specific. Um, and she's able to capture, like, deep, deep emotion and deep vulnerability, I think. The line started crashing his head against the locker, started laughing hysterically. Um, you know, I think we've all <laughs> those of us who have survived high school can remember the sound of a crashing locker and yeah. the, uh, the sort of like, um, I don't know hormonal imbalance of that stage of life and then blending that with the like some of the violence in that song too just like builds this, this word picture um, it reminds me a lot of, of Joni Mitchell actually that you know she sort of leads us along to a certain point but doesn't necessarily pull back the curtain all the way we're left on our own then to figure right. out where exactly um, she's trying to, to, to take us and I think there's some real artistic brilliance in that it's
1: it's all tied in together just you know about the details and the the culture and environment she was living in and the album cover and everything really i think addresses to the content of it uh let's talk about the album cover real quick and holly you already brought up some of the things i was going to bring up which is really great and that um uh, robert maplethorpe uh took this picture and one thing that really stood out to me is that she had to i'm going to use the word had to fight with her label to get this picture to stay on the cover that it was what she wanted that it represented who she was they wanted her to be more feminine and she pushed back and i really appreciate that i really appreciate her standing up for the way she wanted to be portrayed and i think that it is an extremely powerful photo um and I, if my kids, specifically my daughter, but both of my kids, uh, can look up to a person like this um, for kind of standing up for who they are and for other people who want to be them true selves, and I'm very happy to have role models in this world like Patti Smith. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little preachy there, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an inspiring photo and and it and it's and it's again it's not um it's not sexual in the way that most women on a cover of an album are either supposed to be or forced to be or trying to be and i'm not saying that it can't be sexy i'm just saying that that that's kind of the template and that she is so different than any other female solo artist of her time. Um, and,
0: you know, all you have to do is push play and hear that. And I just find that uh, so inspiring. And in I think it, maybe we've already said this, but I'll say it again. I think there's a, like a vulnerability in the cover art that matches with the lyrics and the, the content of the album. Here, this, this image looks raw. It's not... Someone trying to hide behind something. There's clearly emotion here, and and posture here, and um, and real power, I think, too, which is which is really wonderful. Yeah, that yeah. that's a word
1: that comes to mind. Sorry, Halle, the, the, just the power. I see a lot of power in her gaze. Sorry, go go ahead.
2: I was just gonna say, like, when you know the context of her relationship with Robert Maplethorpe. Mm. And the way that she's looking at the camera in this shot, it just kind of conveys the intimacy that they had between them and the trust that they had. And it, like, it just struck me as I was looking at it, like only two people who really had a lot of trust with each other could create this kind of art. And just mm-hmm. the the way that that's conveyed in just kids, like the kind of um, depth of their relationship is pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, that's really special mm. and that that definitely comes through in the image.
0: The choice to go with black and white is um I think pretty stunning too, just from an artistic look, but I think um I don't know, I don't know why the black and white draws me in so much, but uh maybe it's because it feels more stripped down um without a color palette. I think it would feel maybe it's somewhat warmer. If we if we saw sort of like skin tone and and things like that, but but there's a um, again a, a strength and a power I think in the choice to go black and white. The word
1: that I saw used a few different times in different articles describing this cover is uh, androgynous, and I think that choice too lends to that. That if that yeah if that was uh, intentional in the part of either Patty or Robert, um, the choice to take out the color also adds to that because you can't see some of the, you know, the, the color that, that might be on a a woman's face. And I think that maybe is part of that choice as well, I'm, I'm supposing I didn't, (laughs) I didn't read that Patty or Robert did, did that. I'm, I'm just, I'm just supposing that. Uh, Eight tracks, Ben. This is uh, eight is lower than what's usually on an LP, but she has some pretty long songs on this album. So right, eight kind of makes sense. It still clocks yeah. in
0: around forty-five minutes, correct?
1: Right. So, uh, yes, and so she's using uh, all the vinyl. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no blank space on on this LP. Um, so, side one begins with Gloria. Redondo Beach,
2: Birdland, Birdland.
1: Free Money. By two is Kimberly. Break it up. which I think also was called Horses a lot of the time because it was three parts and Elegy a couple quick notes so on the list it doesn't I don't think it says it on the album or maybe it does but on the notes we have here Gloria has part one which is in excelsis Deo and part two is Gloria and land is broken up into three parts part one horses part two land of a thousand dances and part three la Mer, and in brackets DE so la merde which is French for um, or poop good pull Sorry, we, we need to keep our uh our <laughs> our family friendly rating. Uh which is French for excrement.
2: But La Mer is French for the sea.
1: Right. So why does she put huh. the D E in there? Is that was that intentional to like tongue in cheek there or what what's happening there?
2: Uh I (laughs) I don't know. No, I think that there's actually the dual meaning, and this comes back to like thinking through the lyrics. Like, um, yeah, I think there's a dual meaning with talking through like the sea, and also. Yeah. I don't have anything. (laughs) You can cut that out. I don't have anything profound to say about La Merde.
0: (laughs) No,
1: that's okay. I I think. for me personally i'm kind of grasping at straws because again i i haven't done the research on it but but i i saw that and saw uh yeah like to like a two like was she playing on two different words there i'm not sure i think so but that's okay it's okay
0: to not know there's lots of references to the sea in the latter part of that suite. um uh, but the, the imagery sort of skips back and forth between, like, vast beauty and, and violence, <laughs> which I guess is the human experience, right? Is this, like, um, even the sea itself is this beautiful thing to look at and also something that can be absolutely destructive. Um, you know, in some ways we need, we need water to live and water can also completely destroy things. If we have too much of it, and I, I think that play on the French words there is like just brilliant. It that, that's life in a nutshell, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very it, it, the word that also comes to mind is experiential and very yeah. visceral. All the image imagery uh, about you know images and and uh, things you can touch and hear and uh, very intimate.
0: There's an intentionality, I think, with these eight tracks to to build the song to whatever they need to be. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be uh, any um, restraint when it comes to the length of the song or the construction of song or the composure. Um, we've got a song as, as short as just under three minutes, and then we have two songs that are over nine minutes, and, and sort of everything in between, um, it's it's really fascinating, and I think it's it's the storytelling way that they are constructed. I think beat beat poetry uh, is referenced quite often when talking about this album. That there's sort mm-hmm. of like a um, a poetic nature to how these songs are formed, and sometimes it's it involves these like multi-layered or multi-part things being put together. I normally get really annoyed when a song goes over 5 minutes. Um but on this <laughs> album I think I understand uh <laughs> you know what she's doing the artistry behind that that uh you know the the structure is not as important. In some ways I think uh Horses the way that Horses is con- constructed or composed reminds me a lot of uh Dark Side of the Moon like You know, there's an artistry to these songs that's far more important than trying to craft or create, um, sort of assumed popular music songs. You know, themes aside, uh, uh, lyrics aside, themes aside, sound aside, um, there's an artistry here that that is not terribly concerned with what the industry wants something to be, Um, and I think that there there's a brilliance in that. There were two bands that
1: came to mind when thinking about that aspect of it, Ben, the construction. One was uh, The Doors. And when we listened to their debut album, there's, you know, there's really short, concise tracks. There's super long, just jam band, rock out tracks. And there's, there's spoken word. There's lots of different stuff that reminded me uh, of that. And also um, The Velvet Underground's debut, I, in the way that album kind of meanders and just does a lot of really creative things. And I don't think I mentioned earlier that, um, John Kale produced this album, horses, John Kale, one of the founding members of the velvet underground. Mm. So, and, and, and oh. I, I am pretty sure, uh, don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure that Patty Smith is, you know, living in that same scene in New York as velvet underground. Uh, I think they're all, probably again a, don't fact check me but probably <laughs> all the same you know the same similar club similar people you talked about other artists like poets and things and, and, and photographers i think they're all kind of uh, moving in the same circles there even though it's uh, close to a decade later oh, that was 67 so eight years later i think you know obviously by him being involved in this uh, i think it was the the label that enlisted him, but I'm sure they had another connection. So yeah, another a yeah. uh, Velvet Underground connection there in John. So Kale. you were
0: saying they're best friends and like helped. <laughs> not just I'm just trying to ratchet up the, uh, the claims. <laughs> the no, that is not what I said. <laughs> Do not quote me as saying that.
1: <laughs> Holly, I'd love to hear what what you have to think. Do you have any favorite tracks or or you know comments on? tracks in general what what do you think about this
2: yeah i am um, i really like redondo beach and just the reggae influence in that track yeah <laughs> it's really fun um it's it's probably one of the like easier tracks to listen to and
1: yep i hear it a little bit on kimberly too not quite as as you know with that upbeat kind of reggae sound but um I love hearing how we, even in the early '70s, and we hear it a lot coming out of England in the '70s and '80s. How this reggae genre is, you know, coming from Jamaica and the Caribbean, but it's sweeping through the world, <laughs> uh, influencing yeah. all sorts of different artists.
2: The lyrics are really great on that, and I always love um, singing along to "Free Money." <laughs> it's mm. just a great you know she gets up there with free money and um
0: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah those are probably the two that really stood out to me and I um, I think that this I was trying to think of, I, I actually talked to one of my uh, colleagues who's really into punk rock about uh, Patti Smith's influence and she was like yeah, I'm not, like, a huge fan, but she was really into kind of a Riot girl music of um, the 90s. And I, I really think that Patti Smith had an influence on all of that third-wave feminist music that came out. And when you hear, like, um, punk rock, especially women doing punk rock, it's just undeniable the ways that she influence the storytelling in, in this album. And, um, I think that's a really powerful piece about this album is the, um, lyrics and how she put everything together.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: I, this album to me, when I listened to it, I felt from the very beginning, uh, that it felt to me very punk rock without being, punk rock as we know it um it's like it was a, a foundation for every attitude that is conveyed in that genre and kind of without knowing what punk rock was yet um this is like laying a platform for what what it could be and 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 i think it's significant that that it was a woman it wasn't a wasn't a dude um mm-hmm. it's so uh, it's Her attitude and feeling in this is something that continued to astound me as I
0: listened to it.
2: Mm -hmm. Ben, what did you think of the tracks?
0: So Mike and I have admitted before that neither one of us are um, lyric first kind of people. Uh, And so I think, I think what I was struck by most is that the album um, doesn't settle into a consistent sound like each song kind of takes the listener on its own uh, musical journey there's uh there's lots of really interesting sort of song construction here and i don't always think uh you know early punk when i hear it um i'm not sure w- why that is there's a there's an aggressiveness to it and a um a rawness that i think does lend itself to that but but I think there's just a, a, a beauty here that I'm, I'm really in, intrigued by. Um, <laughs> there's some things that she does like uh, during the song, uh, Break It Up, she you can tell that she's like hitting her neck um, and it sort of chops up her voice as she's singing. It's a technique that I think like kids do to each other when they're like trying to yeah, make funny. Yeah, that's what people. I thought. <laughs> but... Um, but she, like, she uses it to, like, almost, like, make a gasping sound, essentially, to add emotion or, or intensity to what she's singing about. Um, there's moments like that where I just think she's just, like, brilliantly uh, working at her craft here. Um, the <laughs> This is a bit more of a, of a funny thing, but the chord progression of Kimberly makes me think almost instantly of Jackson Brown's um, song Stay that gets... Uh, a lot of airplay hmm. on on radio I don't know um, I think he's not the only one who's ever performed that song but there's something about the way that those two songs kind of flow. In the chord progression that that I think sound quite similar, and it I find it distracting to the point where like I I almost don't know what to make of Kimberly, the song because of that other song that I can hear sort of creeping into the back of my head. Um, uh, those are the the things that I'll point out, I guess at this point. Um, sort of specifically speaking, uh, yeah. I, it's
2: funny. <laughs> I would...
0: go ahead, Holly. Um...
2: I was going to say that I'm more of a lyrics person. Uh (laughs) Like I'm really attracted to songs that have like really profound lyrics, or I'm just always curious, like, why did, what is, what is Patty, what does she mean in horses? Like what, what's the meaning behind that? And so I'm always intrigued by that. And that's what really draws me into songs initially. And I thought, um, in the song land, which is also horses, I was also really struck by the guitar uh, in that song. Like there was just mm-hmm. something really melodic and beautiful about the guitar lines in there that I felt like, even though I'm a lyric person, there was still something really forward thinking about how she uses all the different instruments. I think I read somewhere that the percussionist she used for this album ended up being her percussionist for like the rest of her career and still oh, wow. like plays with her. Um, so yeah, there's just something really incredible about like not just the lyrics for me of this album, but also what she's doing musically in the way that the music's written and the parts are written for all the different instruments and just how you can hear like the piano lines in land or the guitar lines in land, like they just really stand out to me as like um on the foreground of this punk rock genre.
0: I love that you mentioned the musicality there on that final, uh, on horses and land because I think um, there's this interesting contrast. The music is a little bit more melodic and lighter, but it may be the most intense lyrical song of the album. I think that you know maybe that's another layer to the uh, the French wordplay there, the uh, the beauty in the music and the raw raggedness of some of the lyrics and bouncing off of each other uh it's really it's really interesting we've talked a, a little bit already on this episode about how we consume music um spotify has the uh cd reissue bonus track included and so for for a while i thought this was an actually a, a nine track album um and the the ninth (laughs) track that is there on spotify is um my generation a cover of the song by the who and it's a it's a really sort of a punkier version of that song Um, but it's interesting i think that song my generation appears on the album my generation which i believe is on this same list of of albums so it's um it's Maybe one time, sort of, kind of, where we've got uh, an artist performing an, a song from another album that's on this list, which I think is really interesting, uh, just anecdotally.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that I listen to that too, and the the version I've been listening to is called the the Legacy Edition, mm-hmm. and so it's the, the eight tracks of the album, then uh, that live version of My Generation featuring... John Cale on bass and she, she announces him during the song um, who produced the album and then there's another whole version of that album that she did live uh, much more recently I, I want to say somewhere around 2000 or 2004 I cannot remember the year but it's okay. a, a much more recent live performance of her doing the whole album and I listened to most of it and it's pretty cool to hear um, you know, just how she portrays that album she did. You know, like thirty or forty years earlier, how mm. an artist does change. You know, do you do it exactly the same? Do you do it differently? Are there things that you can't do with your voice, or um, in terms of instrumentation that you could do thirty years earlier? It's it was it was neat. It was neat to listen to.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, um, something that jumped out to me, what we haven't talked about yet, is the opening line of the album.
2: Jesus died for sins, but not it really caught me
1: off guard the first time.
0: <laughs>
1: and the more I listened to it, and especially when I heard read, sorry, especially when I read her comments about writing the album for people who feel who feel different like her, who, who don't feel like they belong. This is, could be taken as a really political or really religious or anti-religious statement. I don't think it is. Um, I, I think it can be. And I think she could make it about that. But I think it's about feeling different or at sometimes feeling so bad that, you know, nobody could ever, right. <laughs> nobody could ever love you or save you like the things I've done. Um, so I think you can take it a lot of ways. And I like how, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's multi, it's, it's multifaceted. Um, and it's almost, it's almost like I hear her singing it with a smirk. You know like Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's 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 such an intriguing line and um it kind of sets up the album like this isn't (laughs) the content of the lyrics not that they're you know rude or graphic or explicit although some of them are a slightly graphic or at least on the edge of it um this is not uh this isn't your dad's punk rock album <laughs> you know <Right>. like this <laughs> the, it it it. anyways i i'm having a hard time really articulating but it just really grabbed me and i think it's a great kind of you know sets the stage for what we're gonna hear um, i like that yeah
2: i was really struck by patty's by patty Smith's vocal quality like she doesn't have the most Incredible voice, and when you're listening to it, you're kind of in this space where you're like, ah, I don't know if I would necessarily like put her up there as the best singer. Like she doesn't have like the best voice, but her voice is so interesting. It's really fascinating from just a musicality perspective, and. it's one of the I would love to see her live I would just love to see her perform because I think in in a live performance she would be great
1: there's a there's a musical thread with the chord progressions and sometimes when I'm listening to Birdland I forget and I think I'm listening to the first track Gloria again because the progressions and the feel of it are very similar and I almost think I'm going to hear someone start singing Gloria Um, (laughs) and I think that's very intentional and uh, that you hear some of those back and forth just two chord progression throughout the album on different spots and uh, I think that also speaks to the nature of early punk rock that it wasn't necessarily being about um, kind of that grandiose 70s very polished and technical music that we hear that when we heard when we talked about Sex Pistols how that really flew in the face of Kind of like things like the Eagles and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and Fleetwood Mac that were kind of very technical and polished and clean. And this is this is very different. Not to say that it's not good or not as good. Right. It's just very different and very and contrasts everything else that was happening in the seventies. I touched on this a little bit, but the spoken word in Birdland and horses and how narrative ever and how narrative it is, reminds me of The End by The Doors, um, and how Jim Morrison kind of walks us through again, a a bit of a disturbing narrative in The End. Um, And that kind of, they, they were from very different scenes, but I could, I'm sure that, you know, The Doors was a band that would have influenced her as something that a lot of people I'm sure would have listened to at the time. And one technique I really enjoyed at the end of Birdland, she does a thing where the bass guitar, the, the song really comes down and there's not much happening and the bass line uh, copies her vocal melody and they do that for a few um phrases and then even there's harmony on the vocal but the line is still copying the melody of the vocal That was a really neat you know we talk about punk rock and that maybe it's not always technical this was really cool to hear some of these technical things even mm-hmm. things like her like you said uh chopping on her vocal cords yeah, um yeah. it's uh, it's just very diverse and fun and really cool uh we talked about um you know how you two also had a song called Gloria, and I don't—I'm oh, sure I've heard them sing it. Like <laughs> she sings it or do like a little bridge in it. Um, but there was another uh, connection to you two when I heard her sing um, in Free Money, Holly, a song that you really enjoyed. Um, she had the lyric, I think, a couple times. I see those dollar bills, and that reminded me of Bullet the Blue Sky" when uh, Bono was talking. And I see those dollar bills; he's slapping them down. Um again I, I <laughs> even some of the guitar sounds I hear, I wonder how much you 2 listen to Patti Smith, because I hear a lot of similarities in yeah. different things. Some of those open chords um and that very similar tone that Edge uses in the early U two albums. Yes. Um, early hear,
0: especially. You, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, or like not not like he wasn't doing as much delay until he got to uh probably unforgettable fire uh, yeah, a little bit maybe in war but um, certainly in the early stuff it was it was a simpler uh, guitar tone but similar to what we hear in a lot of this stuff on horses so um, that was just a couple little things that I picked up as I went through um, and yeah when I heard see those dollar bills I went hey I've heard those exact words <laughs> see those dollar bills before yeah. I wonder if you know, that was kind of pulled from that or even subliminally to me. Sometimes yeah. when we're making music or writing, we pull things that we've heard without even realizing it. So yeah. anyways, yeah. yeah, just before we wrap it up here, just in general, I want to say from my perspective, I don't think I've ever listened to an artist. I say female artist, but really any artist, like Patty Smith. And as much as, I was challenged to listen to this album at different times, um, both musically and lyrically, just a a staggering amount of lyrics, Uh, just so much to unpack. And sometimes I just kind of shut my brain off to the lyric thing and just listen to music. But then sometimes it just goes on and on and on. So it was challenging. It was so uh, different and fresh for me and inspiring and to think, I can't imagine how different this would have sounded in 1975 to hear a woman singing and creating this music. Um, i she and maybe there are bands you know that are a little more obscure that I don't know of from this era, but I feel like she's like no other female solo artist from that time, and is so different uh, mm-hmm. in a good way. Uh, it just kind of explodes into the scene and and we know that this wasn't a incredibly successful album at the time but I, i just see her being so different and contrasting everything that's happening and and i think that's really really special ben when you think about this album in general uh do you feel it's relevant today and and if so you know how how is this still
0: relevant I immediately think of Nirvana's Nevermind as just like some, some raw emotion sort of poured out in the music. Um, an artist that's really struggling with the challenges of life. You know, that, that comment that mm. we sort of began all this with of, this is not music for the masses, this is music that feel, for people that feel like me. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it was you, Mike, who said earlier, uh, you know, this is a generation that doesn't know how to connect I think the the what we've got here is absolutely relevant at this moment in time. I'm not sure that the musical mm-hmm. sounds necessarily feels very relevant. I think there's there's sounds on this album that that do feel relevant, but um <clears throat> I think that sort of early punk uh sort of vibe does feel dated. And and for someone to get into some some reggae tones, too, also feels like a little bit dated for for something you might hear today, but i think I think there's absolutely value here um uh, I don't know what about the two of you?
2: I think it very much is very relevant. I think the album um it's one of those pieces of uh music that I would introduce to anyone who is like looking to learn more about this genre with punk rock like this is classic um someone told me that a story about this uh kid that was on american idol and apparently um didn't know who the beatles were <laughs> and the coach or the judges, the judges pulled the contestant aside and they're like you have a great voice you have a great future in this industry, but if you don't know who the Beatles are, we're not going to let you on the show. Wow. <laughs> hmm. I feel, like, you know, it's one of those things with like anyone who is into rock music. I think you have to listen to this album because it's so iconic and it's so, it does such a great job of like laying the foundation for people to do the kind of work they do now in music where they're telling stories through music, they're writing complex lyrics, they're um, conveying complex emotions. So I definitely think the album is still relevant. And um, I, I feel like it's required listening for anyone who is, you know, has a fascination with punk rock.
1: Well, for me, I was challenged by this question. First of all, I don't think there's anything like this being produced right now. So that could be a challenge. And I don't hear it being played in public settings. I think that people would be challenged to listen to this right now. Cause it's not really like anything else that's out there. Yeah. I can still see it being very important and popular and relevant in the punk scene. Um, absolutely. And I will say that as much as songs might not be constructed in the same way, the way the instruments are used, the guitar sounds, the piano, the drums, uh, the bass, that's all very relevant. Sure. Um, I think we still hear a lot of, you know, guitar and uh, and those tones, uh, very common rock and even punk tones. So so some of the music is uh, the lyrics – There's a transparency to the lyrics that as, as our former guests, when we talked about Velvet Underground, uh, Bob Brown said, you know, being transparent and genuine and sincere will always be relevant. Mm -hmm. And I think we hear that here and that's important um, today, especially when we are so insular and we hide, you know, behind our devices and persona. Um, I think just to be, kind of raw and transparent is is very relevant and important um and when you do that when you do it today you get criticized for it you know you get ripped apart uh for for revealing who you really are something that you're going through i can't imagine patty smith releasing this today and people just you know the trolls just having a heyday on what it means and what she's like and you know it would be it would be awful would be horrible mm. and and people can be really cruel especially when you you know when you display your art in whatever media or format um, you you're putting a piece of yourself out on display and it's very personal uh, so in some ways it was the way it was released a little more anonymous but i think uh, there was a reception again for the type of people she was trying to reach that really would appreciate that and certainly there's always going to be people who feel left out, ostracized and unwanted that something like this is really going to speak to them.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I really like that about um David Bowie's album we talked about, uh, Ziggy Stardust, that it was really for you know, people who just were just different because he was saying I'm here and I'm very different and my music's different and uh that's okay you know this this album's for for you who who might not fit that mold that you're supposed to fit kind of thinking about
0: that a bit too yeah I love that um where would you sort of put this as far as your favorite albums of all time um Rolling Stone has it here at number 44 do you think that's uh appropriate or should it go higher or lower
2: Yeah, I think it's appropriate to have it at 44. Like I said, it's not the easiest album to listen to, but I think for what it's doing in music and the way it's advancing the the whole industry and the um, genre, I think it deserves its spot on the list.
1: So what about you, Ben? Do you feel uh, like Holly that this should be at number 44? Higher, lower? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think this is an appropriate position for it. I like what you you said, Holly, about uh, this is something that people need to be aware of, especially if you're in the music industry, if you're in the music scene. Um, And I think like some of the other stuff that we have listened to, uh, if you're one of those people who puts albums on this list because they've influenced others, um, man, this... This was probably sort of top ten if we went by sort of that metric alone, um, <clears throat> at least from what I've what I've read over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm content with it being here. I think there have been albums that we've already reviewed that I don't like as much as this, and there are probably going to be albums that I will like more than this uh, coming up in the next little while. But but I think this feels appropriate right now. I, I'm not um, sort of like head over heels, gaga with it, um, to like to raise it up a whole bunch. Um, but I'd I'd be content if it were raised up a little bit. If if Bush came to shove, how about you, Mike? I would
1: say I'm I'm comfortable with where this is, more for its influence and originality than Mm -hmm. listenability and it's a complicated thing when we say what makes a great album what's the greatest album is it how successful it was how many people voted for it on this list uh, how catchy it is how much you like it or how happy it makes you feel greatness is just a challenging thing to describe because it means a lot of different things to different people at different times. So I think 44 works just right for me. I I think I could argue for it to be a little higher and I could argue for it to be a little lower, just, I think mostly in terms of listenability, but it's definitely, I can see how important it is. And there were many aspects, although at times it was hard to listen to uh, for both, you know, the, the sonic quality and the, the lyrical complexity, overall, I did I did enjoy it, and you know I see how how important and pivotal it is for so many different types of people and genres. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 okay with where it is. I think it's good. I, I we said this before. This is the kind of album I expected to get into, you know, in the kind of fifty to one hundred albums that were influential Yeah, yeah. maybe are are a little are a little more obscure but but made you know a big impact on people, ones that you might not want to listen to every day, but you can see how it really inspired. Um, I kind of expected to get into this, you know, past kind of 40, 50, the less popular ones, but are still very important. And ones that I've never heard of. Like this is this is where I would have expected to get like the Velvet Underground. Yes. Um, you yeah. know a mm-hmm. little a little more uh obscure to most people i know that's one that that many people absolutely love and have held on to for a long time and it's heralded as one of the the best and one mm-hmm. of the earliest uh, inspiring the whole punk genre from you know in the late mid late 70s uh sure. but on a, on a greatest album i it, all the big all the heavy hitters i expected in the top 20 um and these kind of more obscure a little different a little harder to listen to. I
0: expected a little more on the back end of the top hundred. So, yeah, that's me. We've been um, compiling a favorite track Spotify playlist over the last several weeks, and um, we've been asking our our guests to choose their favorite tracks for that. Um, when we don't have a guest, Mike and I each pick a track. So. When we do have a guest, we ask them if they'd like to consider two songs that they'd like to be added to this ongoing playlist. Um, if you want to pick two, that would be wonderful.
2: Yeah, I'll pick um, Land and "Pray Redondo Beach.
0: Got it. All right. It'll be awesome. added to the list. Great. Well, thanks so much, Holly. We'll let you get back to your family and – um this has been an absolute pleasure. It's been nice to yeah, catch up really just a little tiny bit.
2: Yeah, really fun. Please
0: say hello to I, um, Joel for me, and uh, uh, yeah,
2: I will. And
0: Pasadena too.
2: And it's really fun. <laughs> I, I will. I I just love. I um, music is one of the things that really sustains me, especially working in the area of homelessness. Mm. I rely on listening to music to really be a form of self-care so being able to talk about an album was was really a pleasure so thank you guys thank
1: you you're welcome thank you for joining us holly it was great to to meet you on over the phone <laughs> 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 and uh and and just hear how much you enjoy this album and a little bit about you this that was great it was a pleasure yeah what do we have coming up next time mike well thank you very much holly it was a pleasure to have you coming up next we really hope you'll join us uh, we hope you enjoyed hearing about this album next time we talk about album number 45 which is our good old canadian friends the band are back with their self-titled album the band
0: also known as the brown album i think in some circles
1: that's right the brown that album. should be a good
0: one yeah i look mm-hmm. forward to uh getting back into the canadian
1: spirit with you ben Talk about that next time and until then uh all you listening i do hope that you take care of yourselves and ben you take care of yourself too and we'll talk to you next time if you like what you hear subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review
0: send us a message at our facebook page on instagram or through our SoundLogic podcast twitter feed thanks for listening